Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 19 of Womankind. I'm here with my guest, Emma Smales. She is a business owner, among many other things, and she does wear many hats. So we're just going to get right into her story to make sure we have time to talk about everything. So hi, Emma. Hello. And I did pronounce your last name correctly, right? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Even if people in Dayton, Ohio will argue with you that it does not. Correct. Oh, what is the other? <laughs> uh, smallies, smalls. Okay. Basically any way you could think to say it is how people will argue that it is said. <laughs> but it is smells. But it is smells for the record. <laughs> yeah. On record. So Emma, you are the, what, what is your title? The CEO of a pretzel business in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I mean, we're not that official, <laughs> but yes, I'm the owner operator of Smales Pretzel Bakery, LLC, technically. Oh, okay. That's amazing. So tell us how you ended up in that position. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Smales Pretzel Bakery started in 1906 by my great, great grandfather. Um, he immigrated from Germany, started a pretzel bakery, and then just passed it down to my great grandmother, who passed it down to my grandfather, who passed it to my uncle, passed it to my father, and then I took over about two and a half years ago. Wow. So how were you the lucky one that ended up? Like, do you, are there other <laughs> it, family members like vying for it, uh -huh. or were you just the one? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it is not a large um, bakery. It's very small. Um, it's been in the same place for about 80 years now. Um, nope, 90 years. Wow. Um, it's, we just do soft and hard pretzels. We don't have any flavors. We don't do dipping sauces. We give out free mustard. That's it. Um, and it's just been, um, kept really small. We're really well known in the community, but you know, we're not any kind of national brand. So I don't, mm. there was definitely no one, uh, to fight to get to this point. <laughs> um, I felt like it was sort of the timing worked out that it was me. Um, I just graduated grad school. So it kind of made sense. My dad couldn't run it anymore. He needed help. It's very labor intensive and he is um, almost 70. So oh, wow. um, it just was too much for him. And I'm named after my great grandmother who took it over. So I'm the second Emma Smales to run, to own it and run it. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I always had this sense of duty um, from the time I was born. I think it, my dad knew. <laughs> the joke was always he was going to give my sister his Elvis records and I would get the bakery. Oh my gosh. And we would always joke that she got the better end of the deal on it. But <laughs> it's just a lot of work, right? It's a lot of right. work. But. So but it's very um, fulfilling work. So so let's talk about that. How do you manage, uh, and with all <laughs> of the other things that you do, um, how do you manage running your own business? Um, yeah, it, you know, I think it's worth saying that I have a master's degree and I avoided a business class like the plague throughout my entire education. Um, so I have literally zero background wow. in business. I did work in restaurants all through 
college and grad school. So for all of you people hustling out there in not your field, you never know, it might pay off one day. Um, because I think my experience working in restaurants and the food industry really, really helped me um, once I got my own business. And I know I also feel really lucky because we have a very loyal customer base. And um, not everyone who owns a small business has as few challenges as we did in that area. So mm-hmm. we love Dayton. Um, and we love our customers. And we're really lucky with that. So I, you know, so not knowing anything about business, I was lucky enough to that we had a business that does have the name recognition it does and um, the reputation it does. So finding new customers wasn't the hard part. But I did have to do some things that um, I kind of had to uh, make up uh, as I went and hope I was doing the right thing. Um, it wasn't always easy, you know. My dad had worked there 20 years. It was hard for him to let go Mm -hmm. um, and to see changes be made. Oh, definitely. That maybe he wasn't, you know, excited about, but needed to happen. Can you give us an example of one of those things? Um, Yeah. So um, we – how do I put this? (laughs) My father and my uncle – did not spend a lot of money on the business. Um, So there wasn't a lot of money being put back in, not just the business, but the building we were in. So we've owned the building for a long time, which is great for overhead, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But that means you're responsible for the upkeep. Right. (laughs) So uh, within the first six months of taking over, I had to rebuild one of our walls, for example, because it was not built on the foundation and Mm -hmm. it was built next to it for whatever reason. And um, you could see through to the outside from the inside. (laughs) That sounds like a really (laughs) big problem. (laughs) So that's a problem. Um, And, you know, we had to um, standardize some processes for that before, like there was no recipe Um, and there still barely is to be fair, but uh, my dad wouldn't hire anyone. So we went through hiring, which he wasn't, you know, we'd only almost always, always had family and not outside people. So he was a little bit um, not sure about his hiring from the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had to do that. And we had to standardize some processes that he maybe didn't think needed standardized or, you know, thought it was a waste of time, whatever it was. But we had to standardize the recipe and, you know, how much um, thing stuff was put, like we use a chemical in the water and like, you know, just all these things that he would just do because he'd done it for so long, but that mm-hmm. no one could replicate. Mm-hmm. So there was, it's, this is, it's like boring business stuff, but like, <laughs> but like you have to do it if you're going to hire people because they have I, to know how to do it. Exactly. Too. And unless you want to be there all the time, you have to have people that can help you. Um, and I think I'd seen my family. I mean, my great grandma worked there until she was in her eighties, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
my grandpa would he he passed away last year, but he was 94 and um, he would he was still coming in every Sunday to make noodles, like egg noodles. We don't mm-hmm. sell them anymore, but he used to make them and sell them um, out of the bakery. And he was doing that into his late 80s. Wow. Um, so I had just I had seen my family work six days a week for 60, 70, their whole lives, you know. Right. Um, and I think that with our generation, maybe that's not where we want to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I think there were some growing pains and some things that um, that were hard and challenging. And my dad wasn't 100% on board. But two years later, you know, he's he's on board now. Right. <laughs> so we've convinced him. <laughs> Well, that is a very tremendous thing that you're doing, carrying on this legacy of your family and in honor of your grandfather. Um, But what kind of, so you kind of touched on some of the challenges that are posed by, you know, the differences in generation and our generation's approach to work. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think um, we, there's some benefits to owning this business right now and some things that like in my history that helped like I'm you know I've been running social medias for a while so the fact that I was able to get the bakery on social media and um have that up and going has really I think helped and people are so interactive on our social media and they're it's so great I have never ran a social media that was so like positive oh wow Um, they're just, everyone's so supportive. It's such a great community. Um, I'm kind of, I, I also run the social media for my other job. And so the difference that I see when I post, I mean, we get hundreds of likes within minutes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's great. I mean, people are so, so supportive here. And I think social media has helped us reach a bigger audience mm-hmm. um, and hopefully get some of the younger generation because a lot of people that come in have been coming in since they were little right right so like their parents brought them or their grandparents brought them um and so you know and maybe they have brought their kids but a lot of people move away um from Dayton um we hit you know the economic downturn hit us as badly as any other midwestern slash manufacturing town in this country um Right. So I think we're seeing a little bit of revival right now. Right. For sure. Um, downtown Dayton, which we are close to, is really coming back. And I think just like where we're at as a country, where this like shop small, support local business. I think that has absolutely helped us. Um, and I'm really like thankful that I'm I've come in at this moment. Like I'm I guess this is part of being a woman, I swear, is that we have a hard time giving ourselves credit. So I feel like I'm like giving credit to like the social um like where we're at in society but it really has helped (laughs) it's like shop small movement um and especially here in Dayton it's very the business owners here are great um it's so many women-owned businesses here um and Dayton's just really supportive of small business and I think that's helped us a lot 
And hopefully that means younger people coming in. We always joked like someone would ask if we give a senior discount. And I said, that would be everyone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, why don't you, jumping back to that social media piece, why don't you share with our listeners where they can find you on social media? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So you can find us on Facebook. It's just Smales Pretzel Bakery. And then um, on Instagram, it's also Smales Pretzel Bakery. Um, It's not that exciting, but I think it's pretty exciting. I don't know. Uh, Do my best. (laughs) Traveling wise, like I, if I'm in a new city, I really rely on social media to find, you know, little things like that. Usually it's a donut shop, but a pretzel shop would work for me as well. Or like an ice cream shop. And we have great donut shops here as well. <laughs> so I've never been to Dayton, so I might have to come and check it out. <laughs> yes, you absolutely should. Um, you can come to the bakery. Um, <laughs> but I completely Jen- agree with what you've said about, you know, we're kind of in a revival time. Um, I, I live in Buffalo, New York, and Buffalo um, sounds similar to Dayton from what you've said in some ways. And we are experiencing a revival of small businesses. And there are so many people and so many women um, who are around my age that own businesses, are starting businesses, are starting nonprofits. And it's really amazing to see. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I, I can't say enough, like how great the small business community is here. I know I've met so many of like the local restaurant owners, and so many of them are women, and they're young. And they're just so excited. And it's just really a great community to be a part of. It's um, when I, this is sort of, but when I took my other job, that was one of the hardest things was uh, kind of leaving, not leaving that community because I'm still a part of it, but having left stepping time. out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I do want to, I want to touch back on like work life balance um, in a little bit, but I want to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, maybe not being women, not being able to give themselves credit fully. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my, my follow-up question for that are what are some of the challenges you've experienced as being a female entrepreneur? Um, yeah. So I think it's probably the same experience. Any woman who is a manager in a food service or retail or any situation where you're dealing with the public Um, especially being a young woman, I think I might be read a little younger than I am. Um, especially when I am covered in flour and not wearing makeup. (laughs) So, um, I think, uh, you know, part of it was, you know, someone would ask for my manager and I'd say, Oh, I'm the owner. And they would, you know, there was literally a man who like stepped back and like, like garbled some words and like, couldn't, like I fried his brain. Like oh he couldn't gosh. understand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was a, a man that came in and he was with someone and he, and she said, Oh, this is the owner. Um, and he said, Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Oh, okay. That's a, that's adorable that you own this. And I was like, what, what is I, adorable about that? <laughs> right. And then I, I was like, would they have ever said that to a man that owned a business like so the answer to that is no (laughs) no No, uh, you're right absolutely and a lot of times people assume my husband is the owner Mm -hmm. um oh did you take over for your dad and he'll be like no that's my wife and Mm -hmm. I'll be like I'll just wave you know right from where I am um 
So I think part of it is that, right? They're just like mm-hmm. this all this inherent like, or the first, and this is maybe, I think part of this is also being a woman, but also just being young. So like when I very say I'm the owner, one of the first questions is like, oh my gosh, how old are you? Mm-hmm. Um, because no one can like believe that right. a 30-year-old woman could own a business. But that actually is a question that I think maybe a man of the same age or younger might get the how old are you question, but not maybe not as frequently. Yeah. And I, right. And I think, um, agreed. I think, and that's why I'm like hesitant to be like, I don't know if it's always gender or if it is age or if it's uh, just this both that I'm like, not only am I a woman, but I'm, I'm young. Mm -hmm. And when I took over, I was 28, Mm -hmm. which is young to own a business. Oh, absolutely. Uh, But you know, I just think the way things are questioned, I just, I know that so much of it comes from me being um, a woman. Like, yeah. you know, it's expected that a man would take over for his father's business. Right. Right. Like that would make sense to everyone. Right. But when it's, when your dad has five daughters, <laughs> not an option. That's <laughs> so, true. So uh, I like that this is changing the the narrative a little bit this is a a woman taking over yeah i'm really shocking some like 80 year old men's world (laughs) like on the daily so well you keep doing what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) it's nice i mean it's i yeah it's a i also just think that um like when i had to hire an accountant right Mm -hmm. like um, I had to, you know, convince him that we needed to LLC and that we needed, it just feels like things are just slightly harder. I have to like be slightly more educated or mm-hmm. slightly more informed because I have to advocate for myself just a little more. Oh, definitely. Uh, than maybe who's someone's older, someone who's male. Right. Uh, you know. So. Right. And that's like on such a larger scale than because I, I can relate in smaller ways of like going to the bank and having to talk about something related to my account or like going to a male doctor and having to right. t- like talk about some of those things. But, you know, that's those are small things. But you are advocating for a business that you own. So that's like right. on a much larger scale. And it probably happens much more often in those situations. I just think it makes you so much more aware of it all the time when you're like, I think you would be treating a business owner like a different business owner differently. Right. But, but yeah. So aside from those challenges, um, is there anything else that is a challenge that may be a challenge because you are a woman? Um, I think that not that because I'm a woman, but because I'm a feminist, um, and I don't think I ever planned on owning a business, even okay. though maybe I knew secretly in the back <laughs> of my head that I would. I don't know. I think I always assumed I would be working in some kind of nonprofit field. Um, right. So I, I guess I never really thought about um, like feminist business practices outside of when I knew that I was not in one, if that makes sense. Right, you know, right. When, recognizing um like the flaws in other people's business practices Mm -hmm. so when you own a business and all of a sudden like you're in charge 
of all of the stuff that you felt was wrong in other places you've worked, it really makes you think like, how do I make this different? And when you're a feminist and that's how I live my life with those ideals, um, that doesn't mean that I'm a feminist outside of being a business owner, right? It means I have to incorporate those ideals into everything I do. So that meant, you know, paying a living wage to my workers. So the minimum wage here is very little. It's like eight dollars an hour or oh, something. Oh wow! Okay. Um, because Ohio and um, <laughs> and you know, I know that that's not enough money to live on. I know the gov- I know like laws say I don't have to pay any more than that. But as a feminist, I don't. You know, I know I need to pay a living wage. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something I thought about. And then just making um, the workplace as egalitarian as I could. Um, And, you know, I think there's just there's ways of thinking that if you're always incorporating like your feminist ideals, like there's a way you run your business. So if my first goal was to make as much profit as possible, then my business would probably be ran a lot differently than I run it now. Interesting. Um, but my goal isn't to make the most profit. My goal is to have a good working environment, provide a living for my employees and continue this legacy that's been going on, you know, this business that's been happening for 110 years and continue it with some kind of integrity, um, and quality so that it's there for another 50 years or a hundred years or whatever. Right. That is such a refreshing thing to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think if everyone, obviously, if every business owner thought about it that way, um, we would live in a very different world. Um, Absolutely. But we, but uh, I don't know how I would do in business school, right? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not well. I don't know. Um, But maybe uh, it's better that you didn't go to business school because you can apply these ideals and not think of it in the the different kind of rigid way that I imagine business school teaches some of these things. Yes. And it's hard because I think coming, cause I, I am like, I have put so much value on school and education. And so I thought maybe I should go get my MBA because I'm, I want that education behind the practice. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how I've kind of lived my life. Um, so it is weird not to have, that educational background for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I think maybe it has helped because maybe if I had majored in business, I would be running this business a lot different than if I had majored in gender studies and sociology. Right. <laughs> and got my master's in public health. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think I really try and make the work environment um, as it's more like a family, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we just, we try and support each other as much as possible. Um, and I just want it to be a good place to work. I don't want people to hate coming into work every day. Um, so how so many, that's my goal. And that's a great goal. How many employees do you have? Uh, right now, not including me, we have five. Oh, okay. Five. five. Nice. Yeah. Sorry. I have to like count. Them. No, no. That's um, okay. 
yeah. So it's not huge. We're a really small business. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I can make a difference and like help these five people, then that is what I will do. And it sounds like that is what you're doing. Hopefully. <laughs> so let's move into talking about, um, like I mentioned before, um, kind of like work life balance, but also touching on because as we discussed before we started recording, you do so many other things aside from running this business. So how does that work balancing those other things with this business? And I I know you've mentioned that your husband steps in and helps sometimes. So talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So I have my master's in public health. So two months ago, I actually accepted a position um, at a health um, it's a health district, but basically the health department of um, another County so I'm a full-time health educator, um, which um, just means that I run a grant um, and do a bunch of other projects with the health department. But it's all revolving around health education and um, just trying to help the community where they need help. Um, so I'm applying for a grant right now for like um, opioid abuse. We all know what's it's been happening in the country. So we're applying for some money to help with that in our community. Um, so I do a lot of, of little things like that and I love it. I love public health. It's my passion. It's what I wanted to do before I knew I was taking over, uh, my family business. business. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm really thankful to be in that field. Um, it honestly is where I, it's where my passion is. So I love going to work every day. Um, so I have that. So that's full time. Um, so that's a lot of work. And, and, you know, so I always joke that I have a full time job plus half because um, I have the bakery as well. So mm-hmm. um, my husband runs the bakery day to day, which is so great to have that support system. Um, Definitely. You know, I got really lucky <laughs> that my husband wanted to abandon his writing career in Los <laughs> Angeles and move to the Midwest to run a pretzel bakery with me. <laughs> that is very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it all just works out sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure how, but it did. Um, so, yes, very lucky. Literally could not do um, any of the stuff I do without him. So, mm-hmm. um, And then... So I have those two things. And then um, I also am really active with a Planned Parenthood fundraising group here in Dayton. We're called PUSH. It's Professionals United for Sexual Health. Um, And we put on fundraising events um, and all the money gets donated to Planned Parenthood Southwest Ohio. Um, It's a really great group of women. Um, I've literally met like my best friends here through it. Um, it's been really just the best support system and just really great people and a really great way to meet people in the community as well. So, um, so there's that. I'm also active in the young Democrats here in the County because this is, I feel like how I do my best work is when I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I feel like I, um, want to make as much of a difference as possible. And so I find myself just saying yes to everything (laughs) (laughs) because I can't say no, but I also wouldn't want to. Okay. So there are things that you really want to do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, moving from California, it's where I was 
born um, and raised was Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, coming from, you know, this quote unquote big pond, right, to Mm -hmm. Dayton, Ohio, which quote unquote small pond, Mm -hmm. um, it feels like there's just more opportunity to make a difference here Mm -hmm. because, um, I mean, it's smaller and a smaller group of people can just have a greater impact, right? Mm Mm-hmm than a big city. So I feel like if I have this opportunity, I have to take it. Definitely. And like in such a small community, you your the changes that you're making might be more evidence evident than they would be in a place like Los Angeles. Right. So that's and something. I love Los Angeles. I miss it. I um worked for Planned Parenthood there when I was doing my internship in grad school and I taught sex ed. Um, and I do think I was actually making a difference or I hope that some of my kids, um, you know, learned something (laughs) from my sex ed classes and really, um, it helped them in their life. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's ways in big cities to absolutely have a direct impact. I just think you really have to search them out and it's really easy to, um, especially in a city that's so hard to get around in (laughs) like Los Angeles. Like it's so easy to get kind of pigeonholed into your little community and, or your little neighborhood um, and feel like you don't have a place in the larger picture. Um, Whereas in Dayton, you know, it's a, it's just a little easier. It's Mm -hmm. smaller. You just, it's easier to get involved in things because there just aren't as many, um, people right and it's part of it is being in a more conservative area in the country um so these liberal opportunities like they're they always need people right Mm -hmm. Um, that's a good point yeah I mean I love Los Angeles and I love that it's this you know liberal place that you're surrounded by all these liberal people and I you know part of me misses that a lot um but there's something to be said about I like, and I'll just speak on behalf. Like we need people to move to the middle of the country, right? <laughs> you know, we we have like the coast covered at this point. Like if we could get people to move inward, <laughs> it would really help us on a national level, let alone on a local level, which is even more important, right? Right, and you're definitely practicing what you preach here, and that's it is a time to try to connect with people that have different viewpoints and to try to understand people that have different viewpoints. And it's hard to do that when you're in a a situation where everyone is so like-minded. Yes. And not, don't get me wrong, I grew up north of LA in LA County where it's very conservative. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I don't understand what it's like to be in a conservative area, but, um, but there's always this like protection of, oh, well, it's L.A. County. So we know that it's going to go blue. Right. right. We know that this area is going. So there's like that that kind of protection. Whereas here, aside, you know, we're in Ohio, which is a battleground state, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And um, every, you know, for eight years, we're blue and then now we're red. And then, you know, and it, so it is this like you don't know. And like the work you do has like a very direct impact mm-hmm. on that. So um, there's some really great conversations happening here around that. And I just feel really lucky to be a part of it. I feel like it's just a 
really interesting time. Um, Definitely. To be a part of that conversation. Definitely. So. so let's hear more about the work that you're doing in public health. So that's one of the things that you are balancing with running the pretzel business and among the other things. But tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I work for a health department. Um and it's small. I'm in Clark County, which is pretty rural. We have Springfield, which um, that's where John Legend's from. Really? That's, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's true. He comes back all the time. Um, so, you know, that's literally what we have. That's um, like your claim to fame. <laughs> that's our only thing. Uh, sometimes Chrissy Teigen's there. Whoa. So I know. So <laughs> maybe one day I'll get to meet them. I don't know. Um but we have, you know, we have the same issues a lot of the rural communities have all over the country. The same, you know, opiates are a huge problem for us. Um, and just socioeconomic, you know, when all the manufacturing left, it really hurt our communities. So um, we're small, but we do as much as we can. Um, right now, I run the Safe Communities Grant, which is um, it deals with traffic safety. I'm focusing on teen driver safety. We've had three kids die from the same high school in the last three months out oh of our um, accidents. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of work on that. Um, trying to just raise awareness and, um, you know, education, that kind of thing. Um, and hope that that will help. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of my job. And then I just, I apply for grants doing other things um, like the opiate thing. That's what I'm working on now. So I have like a $200,000 grant due in two weeks. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Um, and then what else do I do? I run, um, I'm running a minority health fair. So I'm in charge of getting that together. Um, so we do screenings and things like that. Um with in partnership with NAACP in Springfield. It's just a lot of um, little things. The health, you know, the health department is great. Um, I actually really like working for the health department because it really feels like I'm in school again, except mm-hmm. I get paid instead of paying to go to school. I can relate to that on some level as a high school teacher. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, you're like, oh, wait, I used to have to be here, but now I want I to be here. To be here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's a little bit how it feels. It feels like, oh, I literally went to school for this and now I get to use all of that information basically every day, which I feel really lucky that I get to do because I don't think everyone gets that experience. Um, and I really, really enjoy it. So, so that, and that it's honestly the only reason I would have left the bakery is to have this opportunity. So why did you choose to do both? Um, I don't know if choice is the right word okay, on that. Okay. Uh, I think <laughs> I kind of had to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it. I might be a little bit of a control freak, I guess, <laughs> is the correct term. I'm not sure. Um, but I do have a little, I, you know, I, the bakery means a lot to me, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something I would be able to let go, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband 
you know, he's ran it with me for the last two years. And we have a manager who's been with us for about six months. And the only reason I felt comfortable leaving is because I trust both of them. Right. Enough that I know that it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still there every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work six days a week because I'm full time. And then I work at the bakery on Saturdays. Um, so I, I know what's going on. Um, and I still handle some of the, you know, correspondence with like grocery stores, um, things like just little, you know, email printer stuff, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So like I'm still handling some like administrative things. Um, whereas my husband kind of runs day to day operations. Mm-hmm. But I also felt when I was there every day, as much as I love that bakery, it I it wasn't where I felt like complete. Do you know what I mean? Like I right. didn't feel like I felt like as much as I love this bakery and as much as I love my customers, because I really do, I miss seeing them every day. Um, I didn't feel like I was doing enough for me. Like I needed to be more active. I needed to have a more, um, I need to have more impact on the community. Right. You need that level of fulfillment that maybe you weren't getting there. Right. And it was a little hard for me to explain that to my dad. Um, Mm -hmm. When I told him that I got the job, you know, he wasn't a hundred percent sure. Right. That it was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I understand because it is, you know, it was a huge transition. Um, But I think he understands now that I'm just, this is where my passion is and I can love the bakery and keep it running and make it successful while also doing the thing I'm passionate about. Um, and it was hard for me to admit that I wasn't passionate about the bakery. <laughs> right. Because it's been a part of my identity my whole life, right? Like mm-hmm. the pretzels, I've always been, you know, my dad would send them out to me in California. So like if you went to high school with me, if you went to college with me, like, you know, these pretzels, you know, that it's part of my identity. I would make soft pretzels at home for friends. Like, it's just, it's always been a part of who I am. So you were like the pretzel girl, basically. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I've always taken a lot of pride in my family, you know, my um, having that history, because I feel like we don't have that in this country anymore. We don't mm-hmm. have people who have these family businesses or these, you know, generations that go back. Um, so I'm the fifth generation to own this bakery, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have that anymore. So I really always took a lot of pride in knowing my family history and, and having this like physical thing that existed that represented my family. That's an amazing thing to have. That's right. So special. So special. And I never took that for granted. And I, um, and I always felt a really deep connection to it where I think maybe my siblings didn't, which is probably why I ended up taking it over. No one else did. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was hard for me to say as much as I love this place, it's not where my passion is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, finding out, first of all, being able to figure out what your passion is, is so important and rare. Um, 
And then being able to actually live that again, I feel like so lucky mm -hmm. that I was able to do that. Um, and I think that you just have to be like brave enough to admit to yourself <laughs> what you want and then um, brave enough to go out and get it. Because I will say it was really kind of nice when I graduated graduate school and everyone was like looking for a job and panicking if they were going to get hired. And I was like, oh, I got to go run my family business. It was very no pressure in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to prove myself to anyone. Right. <laughs> like I didn't have to go find a job at a health department right away. And, you know, and like there was, so that pressure was taken off. Um, yeah. It like bought that, you a little time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, well I already have a job. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, but then the whole other pressure of like, okay, well now you have your family's 110 year old bakery. Like, good luck. Right. Like, That's no small thing. <laughs> don't don't screw it up. You know, like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah. So I think um, I think there's a little bit of bravery involved in yeah. that whole process. And I think um, I was also like really afraid of leaving the bakery. It became a very like comfortable place for me. I knew exactly, you know, it's really nice not having a boss. Right. Definitely. <laughs> no one uh, can yell at you when you do something <laughs> wrong. Um, so it was, I was like, okay, now I'm going to leave this. I'm going to have a boss again and I'm going to have to answer to someone else and I'm going to have to, you know, <clears throat> so it was hard, but, um, but ultimately I think I made the right decision and, um, I'm really happy with how things are going now. So that's great. Yeah, that's really great. Leaps of faith, <laughs> like, has been the story of my life. So but. speaking of, I, we're gonna hear a little bit more about you now, Emma. So I, we've gotten a good sense, I think, of your story so far. But is there anything else? about you that we don't know yet about your story that has brought you to where you are? Oh boy. How much time? <laughs> do we have? Um, no. um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I guess importantly, the important parts, uh, I came from, you know, a, um, low socioeconomic background. Um, I grew up in a trailer park in Southern California, um, in the desert, in the high desert, Lancaster, Palmdale. Um, it's, um, my parents split up when I was 12. Um, and I think that really kind of informed my, that's where my like feminism probably started. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it started maybe in fifth grade, like officially when I, oh, wow. um, I had all the girls at the after school program I was in sit in a circle on the playground because they were making us make snack every day mm -hmm. and the boys would go outside and play sports. Wow. I staged a sit in, um, on the playground until they agreed that they would switch off boys and girls making snack. That's <laughs> incredible. So if that tells you anything about who 10 year old me was, <laughs> that's, who I was. Um, I just can't believe that that would be something that would be okay for the teachers to do. And then that they were mad at me. Right. For, like causing uh, trouble. And then they told my mom and my mom was like, uh, great. Yeah, really. You guys are the worst. Um, <laughs> she's smart. 
Um, and then I also started a petition. This is not feminist, but this is just activism me. Right. Um, I don't even know where I came up. I got, I probably watched too much TV, but I started a petition um, in fifth grade because they moved our graduation date forward and I was going to be at Girl Scout camp. So oh. I got the entire fifth grade to sign a petition to move it back to the original date. Wow. And I presented it to my principal and they agreed to change it back. Wow. Victory. So, yeah. So, um, so, you know, I think I was never afraid to stand up for what I thought was right. And I couldn't a hundred percent tell you where that came from, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it has been a theme that has continued, I think throughout my life. Um, and I think my mom was always like so supportive of me. Um, and she won't she'll she won't say she's feminist, but she is. She just doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always says, I don't know how you and your sister turned out the way you did, but it's because <laughs> of her, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, it's because she was such a strong woman and she always, you know, supported us and and that. But um but I think that, you know, I've always known that I had to kind of stand up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves. And I think I've always known that I was not afraid to like speak out that I was not afraid to be the one to say, Hey, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. I think that continues to this very day. Well, that's a fantastic quality to have. (laughs) Yes. I think it's great. And I think that I owe my, you know, the fact that I was a gender studies major in college and the, you know, all of these great people that have been around me that have supported that instead of, um, you know, saying it's not your business or it's not up to you or you can't make a change on your own. Right. I've always mm-hmm. had people say, you know, support me in that. So and that's good. That's probably how you've ended up doing all of these things. Yeah. Because of that support. Yeah. So I think that's, that's my, that's the main takeaways, I guess, from my life. <laughs> I think that gives important. us a good sense. Like that, yeah. that kind of explains a lot. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the 10 year old me was uh, like the best activist I've ever been. <laughs> I, Very I effective. 10 year old me all the time. So Emma, what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2017 generally and specifically for you? Oh boy, it was a tough year, right? Um, yep. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think more than ever, I am not afraid to say that I'm a woman and not to like, and like to stand up for that constantly and like not apologize for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know. I think it's so interesting being a woman right now, like with all of the things that are coming out, the sexual harassment and um, sexual assault, and all of these things coming out. And I feel like if you're like me or my group of friends, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you, we all know that this has all been happening. And like, finally it's coming out. And like, finally, these people are coming to the table and, and you're like, welcome to the table. We've been here for a while, right. you know, definitely. Um, 
welcome. Here's the things we've done. Here's what we've learned. Like, we're glad you're here, but maybe could have shown up um, a while ago. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think for me, it's I've never been afraid to speak my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I think now especially, um, I think we as a woman, you have to be um, – I think it's your responsibility to like speak your mind and to say, no, this isn't right. Or no, this is how it should be. And this is what's been happening. I just think that we have this really unique um, window right now where we should speak out. And I'm not, um, I think if people don't feel comfortable speaking out about like their sexual assaults, things like that, I, that I can really understand. I don't think it's your responsibility to like, speak your your personal history if you don't feel comfortable but I do think it's um your responsibility to speak out for women mm-hmm. and like I won't apologize for saying that like I think women who don't support women what's that quote women there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other right. women yep. yeah I I should get that like tattooed <laughs> but so I feel like being a woman in 2017 is supporting other women which and and I think being a support system, you know, for other women, I think mm-hmm. that's a huge part of it. Um, so a question. This is kind of a tough question that I'm going to ask as a follow up. Okay. How do you support women who don't believe that women should support other women? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you know. Luckily, I mean, in my personal life, I just I don't have that experience a lot mm-hmm. um probably just because of who I choose to like surround myself with but you know I think that all you can do is educate um people and if they can't see their own oppression um then that's all you can do right right you can't force someone to believe something that is true. But if you have done your very best to educate them and, you know, give them the facts, give them what you believe to be true, then that's all you can do. And I've, you know, I can say personally, um, there's someone in my family who I've had a really hard time with that. And I've had to you know, I've sat down and I've talked to them about white privilege and I've talked to them about economic, you know, socioeconomic privilege and, and things like that. And, you know, they don't get it and they don't agree with me, but you can't make someone agree with you. Right. But I've done what I can right. and I can safely say that I've done that and that's all you can do. Absolutely. So we're running a little bit low on time. So Emma, are there any other things about being a woman that you can share with us quickly? <laughs> um, I think that not to, like, I think I want to speak more as being a feminist. I okay. think that um, if you consider yourself a feminist, I think you need to integrate that in all parts of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. So even if you run like maybe the most feminist company in the world, making the most feminist product ever but your employees are not paid well, like that's not a feminist company, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think I what I take 
try and incorporate feminist ideals into everything you do. And I think that would make the world a better place no matter what. So Mm -hmm. that would be my takeaway. All right. I like it. Um, what would you say to people, um, who are not necessarily comfortable with the word feminist, um, get comfortable. Um, (laughs) uh, I think we need to destigmatize the word feminist. It's Mm -hmm. not scary. Um, literally it just means you think we should be equal to men. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you don't think that, then I'm not sure you're listening to the right person speak right now, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think we need to get away from how scary that word is. I think we're already getting there. I think mm-hmm. people are a lot more willing to say they're feminists now. Definitely. Um, but I think that feminist ideals are just that we need to treat everyone equally and with respect. Um, and it's very much like and treat people how you want to be treated, right? Like, do you want to be paid well at your job? Of course you do. Guess Mm -hmm. what? So do your employees. Um, So I think if you just treat people the way you want the world to be, then don't call yourself a feminist or do, but do the right thing. Right. Right. And then make sure that the brand of feminism that you're implementing is inclusive of all women. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... um, Don't, you know, feminism might be a hot word right now. So if you do want to use it, but you don't live that life, think about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's just, I think we've heard stories like the Thanks brand. Um, They, right, it's this period underwear, right? So it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like this feminist, like kind of like free bleeding, blah, you know, right? But all the stories out of the actual company are it's not a nice work environment. The um, CEO is, you know, sexually harasses the people like just because you have a feminist product doesn't automatically make you a feminist company. Um, So you really have to work at it. And yes, inclusivity is very Mm -hmm. important. Well, and you raise a, a really interesting point about how like feminism now is becoming the word is becoming more mainstream and people hope are becoming more comfortable with it but i see it being sold as like a product um which is kind of um like a scary thing in a way where like you need to just people need to be aware of what they're being sold like for example i don't remember the company that is selling this product but i saw it but it was a very small pin that said resist and it was being sold for $85. So I feel like that is kind of missing the point. <laughs> right. Yes. Agreed. I think, yeah, I think being mindful of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been, I thought about it a lot, how running, you know, running a feminist company versus having a feminist product, like those are very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, I could talk about that forever. But. <laughs> well, this actually leads perfectly into my story of subversion for today. But now you got me thinking a little bit more that I do this. This company does sell a feminist product, but I'm not sure if it's a feminist company. See, uh, so I don't know think about it. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about that a little bit now for story of subversion. And then Emma has a story of subversion to share as well. 
So uh, the story of subversion for this week, the woman that I'm going to talk about is Mika Hollander. Um, and so Mika Hollander, she founded Sustain Natural, uh, which is a company that creates sexual health products and feminine products. Um, and she actually founded it with her father, which she talks about in a lot of interviews, which is kind of funny. Um, and so basically she wanted to create um, products that for once took women's bodies into consideration and that are sustainable, healthy, natural, and safe. And so the company began by creating a line of condoms and personal lubricants that are made with natural and organic ingredients rather than synthetic ingredients, um, which the way she puts it, those synthetic ingredients can disrupt a vagina's ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the statistic that she's thrown out there is that women were buying 40% of these products, um, but yet they had never been marketed towards or created specifically for women. Um, and they were using products that were harmful to women's bodies. And so now they've extended this company to create um, feminine care products. And so they are creating tampons and pads that use um, non-synthetic materials. They're 100% cotton. And the applicators are made out of bioplastic plant-based materials rather than petroleum-based materials. So they are sustainable. Um, And I've talked about this on an earlier episode. When people are using tampons that are created with synthetic materials, that's really where the risks for things like toxic toxic shock syndrome um, and other disorders stem from because you're putting things in your body that are not natural. Um, And manufacturers are not of manufacturers that create condoms and that creates feminine care products are not required to list their ingredients by the FDA. Um, And so that is something that Mika Hollander is working on, getting the FDA to change this so, you know, so we know what is in these products. And so she is very transparent um, with her products. Like everything is listed on the box, everything that is included in these products. Um, And it's just a way for people to choose a little bit better what they're putting into their body. So she is my story of subversion for this week. I love that because reproductive health is like my my love, my passion, my first public health love. So um, I think it's really important that we're normalizing that um, within the community. And I think she um, talks a lot about vagina health, mm-hmm. which we don't talk about a lot. Right. And whenever I would go into classrooms and I would tell people, like, don't, like, your vagina is designed to clean itself. Like you don't need to use all these products for it. It has a very delicate pH balance. You don't want to throw that off. And like, we just don't talk about it. And I, I'm so happy that she is designing these products for that. And like bringing that conversation forward because some of these girls had never, you know, all they know is that, you know, does it, it smells bad and like, that's bad. And right. No one, there's all these myths about it and all these like terrible things that could happen. And, we don't hear that like it's like it's built the way it is for a reason. Right. And, and the only yeah, and you're so. absolutely right. A lot of the things that you see like mainstream wise where people talk about this like on commercials on TV or on the radio or whatever, um, it talks about, 
you know, these products that are like meant for washing your vagina. So then it right. smells like flowers, which and I we would always supposed say, like, to. your vagina is not supposed to smell like flowers. That's right. like not what it's supposed, you know. So yes, I am. It's great. I'm really I love that story. Absolutely. So let's it. hear your story of subversion, which will bring us back to talking about the pretzel company. Yeah, I don't think my subversive woman was big on. Well, actually, this goes right into it. That's great. <laughs> okay, so my great grandmother is my subversive woman. Um, she um, was born in the early 1900s, and she uh, was named Emma as well. Um, she had my grandfather out of wedlock, and um, in the 1920s you know, that was a big deal. Um, and yet instead of like going and hiding and, you know, being ashamed of it, she took over the bakery, um, at around the same age I was when I took it over, Wow. um, from my grandpa and she was a business owner, you know, a woman business owner until my grandpa took it over in the early sixties, which was a big deal through that time. You know, she wasn't a housewife in the fifties. She brought her kids to the bakery. <laughs> all the, all my, you know, my, there's a picture in the bakery of um, my dad and his brother and, or his two brothers and his sister. And they're all in the bakery, like eating a pretzel, sitting in their high chairs. Oh, wow. That's cute. That's where they were. <laughs> right. So I just love that. And I really think that I love that I was named after her. Um, I just, think that she is just this amazing woman. Um, everyone, you know, knew her as granny and she just, people come in still to this day and they remember her, um, being there. So I just, I think having a kid out of wedlock and then saying, well, I don't care what you guys think. I'm taking over this business anyway, is just a wonderful thing. That is amazing. And that would be amazing today but in the 1920s and that time period is incredible right I know I just love it and maybe some reproductive health would have been useful but well uh, <laughs> but then my grandpa wouldn't be and then the whole thing so mm -hmm. it all worked out well <laughs> it did <laughs> all right Emma so we're coming to the end of our episode is there anything else I feel like we could talk all day really but is there anything else that you would like to add um, and again, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Sure. So, no, I think what you're doing is great. I love this podcast. And I, um, oh, my gosh. Thank part you. Of, yeah, no, I think telling women's stories is so important. And, um, you know, I've taken throughout school so many research, blah, blah, blah classes. But uh, my favorite thing was feminist research because I – you know, in the during second wave feminism, it was all about telling women's stories and like how important that was and how valid of research that was. Um, and we kind of, I think, got away from that a little bit. So I think it's great what you're doing. I think we need more women's stories. I wish my great grandma had recorded her life story, right? Oh so I could hear it. So well, thank you I so think much. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, I'm happy to add you to the record of members of womankind. Yes. And then <laughs> if you want to try Smales pretzels, um, you, we do ship them. I, you know, <laughs> they're different. They're, the hard pretzels are very different than what you've had. So anyway, but if you want to <laughs> check us out, um, Smales Pretzel Bakery on Facebook and Instagram. 
Well, thank you so, so much for being here, Emma. This was a great conversation. Thank you. And if you are looking to get in touch with Womankind, we are on Facebook at Womankind Podcast. We are on Instagram at Womankind Podcast. Or check out our website, womankindpodcast.com. Or email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. Bye, friends.